Hi friends, welcome back to In Strange Company. I do not have the words as illustrated by the number of times that I have tried to start this episode to say what I need to say today. Uh, This episode is a memorial to uh, Jim Posowitz. Jim Posowitz was a living legend in the conservation space, and he passed away on July 3rd, 2020. I put this episode together to honor Jim um, because he was a truly great man. One of the benefits, but also one of the handicaps of um, being an adult onset hunter and adult onset conservationist is that I am not always aware when I'm in the presence of greatness. Uh, However, I was acutely aware of that fact when I was around Jim. Jim did incredible work in his time here on this planet and the impact that he left behind, it may be matched, but it will not be surpassed. Jim was a writer. He was a deep thinker. If you ever were around him, he was quick with a story. And as you will hear in this uh, tribute to Jim, uh, he laughed easily. He laughed loudly and he lived loudly. This is my humble way of trying to memorialize him and provide you all an opportunity to hear his voice maybe one last time. So, Jim, wherever you are, I hope you're roaming through the mountains, rifle in hand. Well, we're sitting in a building that was built in 1910. And so it's within walking distance of the Myrna Loy and the Windbag Saloon and a few other the Helena landmarks, my habitat. Uh, fighter, lover, ballroom dancer, friend of the working girl. <laughs> I was born in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and I got recruited to come to Bozeman to go to school. And I had a big interest in hunting and fishing in the outdoors, and, and uh, it was all self-motivated and self-taught because there was no family history of those activities at post-depression years when I was growing up. And besides the wildlife at that niche of the woods was totally depleted. As I started with Fish, Wildlife, and Parks in... Uh, 1961 as full-time. I'd done some seasonal work prior to that with with the state as a student. I worked there 32 years steady, at which point I founded, uh, and along with Gail, Orion the Hunters Institute. And in the interim, as my later years in fishing game, I was also Uh, moonlighting as the executive director of the Cinnabar Foundation, which is a conservation philanthropy that helps support uh, non-government organizations working on fish, wildlife, and environmental issues. Other than that, I've been sitting around. Because the people declared themselves to be sovereign, they became the holder of that public trust in fish and wildlife. It became the people's fish and the people's game. 
And in that 1842 and some subsequent court decisions, we crossed this barrier that in the new world democracy, fish and wildlife would belong to the people. The king's deer became the people's game. Now, that was a long time ago, sort of. Uh, That first court case was 1842. That was 16 years before Theodore Roosevelt was born. 16 years after Theodore Roosevelt died, I was born. Now that's the full length of this experiment in the new world democracy, whether a cultural, social, uh, environmental amenity can be held by, used by, taken care of, all by the people and not by people of privilege, people of property, or people of wealth and power. That struggle goes on to this day. And I tend to look back on my own life experience. You know, I grew up wanting to be a hunter, wanting to be a fisherman, wanting to be a trapper. And, you know, 90% fantasy, 10% reality and all that stuff. I get to Montana in August of 1953. In January, I've been here six months, there's an extended deer season in the Bridger Mountains. I borrow a gun, I go up into the Bridger Mountains, and I shoot my first deer. So I'm 18 years old, I go borrow the gun, go up just north of the M on the end of the Bridger Mountains, and I shoot a doe deer, and Then I ask myself, now what do I do? (laughs) But I had no idea, A, why I could be the hunter, why the Bridger Mountains were public land, and why why, why that deer population of the Bridger Mountains had been so amply restored by the time I showed up that we had to have an extended season on them just to hold the numbers in check. Early in my career, I went up to uh, Glasgow to be the fish manager there and ran into a, a friendship. And the guy talked me into joining the Glasgow Helena or Glasgow Wrangler Kiwanis Club. And so I joined the local service club. And in time, I realized what happened there was I became something other uh, than an alien from the f- government bureaucracy or planet green within that community. I started to become part of the community. And when I moved to Helena, he talked me into the same guy. He, he became my hunting and fishing buddy for, through the process, both in Glasgow and later in Helena. Uh, he was an attorney, Bill Sternhagen, and he talked me into joining the Helena Kiwanis. And one night, I was taking a crew of Iowa public TV people down the Missouri River when we were fighting the Corps of Engineer dams down there. And I got back to the Grand Union Hotel in Fort Benton. This was the old style. And there was a note pinned on my door. And it says, call Bill Sternhagen no matter what time of the day or night. So here's a personal family friend, a lawyer, a hunting buddy, 
and uh, needs to talk to me. So I run down the end of the hall. There was only one phone per floor in the hotel at the time. <laughs> Call him up. And he says, oh, Jim, I'm the nominating chairman for the Helena Kiwanis. Would you be the second vice president? <laughs> I said, Bill, anything. <laughs> you know, I thought, who in the family got run over, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> and so I became eventually the president of the Helena Kiwanis Club, which is something from being the hermit on Planet Green. And that was a big lesson there, to become a part of the community. We both belong to the local Rotten Gun Club. We both belong to the Wildlife Federation. You know, we both belong to a whole list of other conservation-oriented NGOs. And I think that's incredibly important because you are something other than this alien. And you have a chance to talk to people because you know their name and they may know yours and uh, there's too many in our profession I guess that went the isolation route and the ones we remember and the ones who are remembered historically are those who broke out of that pattern they weren't content to just sit in the cabin in the woods and, and pound out their reports and the irony is all through our college training at least through mine they, you know, they pound the scientific objectivity into your brain and then you leave your emotions out of everything you're doing and you send your data to the decision makers, whoever they are. I don't think that's good enough in a democracy. And the way I sum it up in a bumper sticker is, in a bumper sticker is it's important to care. The book is basically a biographical piece that goes from story to story about my finding and then participating in living the Montana conservation ethic. I couldn't have written that without having become a student of Montana history to realize how many people that preceded me uh, that gave me the chance to take my shot and how satisfied I was with the fact that I took the best shot I could. Well, I think the only thing I would share is for conservation activists of today to, to keep notes, to, to, to anticipate the day when they have to write about their opportunity and their response to the opportunity take their best shot.
Thank you.